Last week, we kicked off our generosity teaching series called More, and we're asking the question, is having more money better for us? Is, is it going to give us a quality of life? And maybe if you're here or watching online, you're like, uh, yes, bye, I'm not watching the service anymore. But he, here, here's the lie that we believe, that more is actually better. But the truth is that more right, will make you do more of what you're already doing. So we said last week that there's, um, in Luke 16, where we're going to be today, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there or open your Bible apps to Luke 16. Um, So we said that in in the context of the parable of the shrewd manager, Jesus says there's two ways to look at money. You can be uh, of the community of the Essenes, where money is really only for you and your community. Uh, A phrase that they might say that pairs with How we speak is like we got to take care of our own, Um, and anybody outside of our community, we don't help, we don't trade, we don't barter with, and we we don't support them at any season, let alone like you know Christmas, Thanksgiving, or the holidays. But Jesus flips it on his head and says the kingdom of God is a global economy that we're supposed to care for people and to be financially generous to people who don't look like us, believe like us, think like us, or live in the same parts of the world like us. It's this idea that we're supposed to give our money away. It's a a kingdom perspective that we don't own anything. We're just managing everything that Jesus allows to have. The Yeseans would say, no, hold on. I don't, I don't, I'll go to your church. I might join one of your weird life groups maybe and share my feelings, but, but I'm not going to give you my money, right? And so we talked about last week how the point of giving is that we've got, uh, you know, a, a certain amount of money for giving, savings, and debt, and then the rest we kind of give to our lifestyle. And the Yesean group would say, we have to protect the bucket of her lifestyle at all costs. But Jesus says the purpose of your finances, the purpose of your ministry is to, uh, the purpose of your money is to fund your ministry. So if you have a Jesus perspective, the idea is to say, how can I look at my lifestyle, right? And not necessarily take it away more. So, you know, the pastor said, so I can give the church more money and Ben can have a raise. That's not what I'm saying at all. But how can I look at my lifestyle and say, how can I begin to give my life away so that I can serve other people? And it's a weird thing. Like when I was, I played baseball, I didn't play basketball. So that's why I can't shoot a shot. The weird thing is, and I I remember growing up in the church when the pastor would say this and I'm like, okay, whatever. You have to say that you're an old dude, whatever. It's true, man. Like the more I give my money away, my time away, my relationships away, now hear me, in good boundaries, I actually find out that God continues to bless me and give me more more opportunities to be generous. So it's this perspective of looking at not just your finances, but everything that you have. What does it look like for you to give your life away? So at the end of your life, when you're standing before Jesus in heaven, however that looks, you can say, my life was a sponge and I squeezed every ounce of it for the kingdom of God. But most of us think that a little more money will improve our lives. A little more of anything just reveals your behavior or your relationship to that very thing. John Maxwell, Christian leader and author, says this, most people have uphill dreams but downhill habits. Man, that cuts to the core. Most people want to get out of debt, right? 
Most people want to be able to support or pay for all of their college tuition for, for their children. Most people want to lose weight. Most people want to have better relationships, right? Most people want to make sure that, you know, that their business is going to thrive through the pandemic over the next, you know, I was going to say six months, 90 days. But hope is not a strategy, right? Pastors and church leaders are wondering, can, can we keep our doors open? Like, are, are our people going to be generous enough? I mean, it's sort of baseline thinking to pay the staff and keep the lights on. But hope is not a strategy, we have a lot of uphill dreams, but if we're being honest, some of us, a lot of us, myself included, we tend to have downhill habits. People have asked me, um, since I've been in ministry for like the last 10, 15 years or whatever, hey, I want to start giving, like what amount should I start at? And I'm like, you're, you're asking the wrong question. Because the reason why somebody would ask, how much should I start giving, it's that, it's that mindset that if I just do more, right? My life will be better. So if I'm going to be a Christian, I have to go to church more. I have to read my Bible more. I have to pray more. I have to give more. And in reality, you find yourself to be frustrated, depressed, and tired, and you just walk away from faith. In general, more will make you look like and feel like a Pharisee. Right? There's a reason why Jesus tells another parable of a homeless woman giving all that she could in her synagogue and the religious leaders laughing at her because it wasn't a lot of money. But she was faithful with what she had. So when people ask me, Ben, I want to start giving, how much should I give? And I said, it doesn't matter, just start. Just start giving. Because the behavior and our journey with Jesus with our finances is more important than the amount. Our willingness to say, Jesus, I want to love you. I want to trust you with my finances. I'm just going to start. And like parents and grandparents, like little kids that, that you love to be around all the time, but during the holidays, and they're, you know, like they're teething and they're trying to speak to you and they're drooling and it just, ugh. but you're so elated that they're trying to communicate with you. You don't care if the words are pronounced correctly, or at least I hope not. They're just trying to say, I love you. That's the same thing with our spiritual formation. And a great way to journey inward with Jesus is to trust him more and more with the money that he's allowed you to have. John D. Rockefeller once said this, I would never, I would never have been able to tithe the first million dollars had I not tithed my first salary, which was, get this, a dollar and 50 cents a week. Now, does Jesus call Rockefeller generous when he tithes a dollar and 50 cents a week? Or does he wait till he's able to give significant amount of money, right? When, where names go on plaques and people have dinners and recognize your honor? The answer is yes, that Rockefeller was both very generous, generous when he tithed a dollar 50 and when he tithed his first million. How does somebody, <laughs> how does somebody go from, I'm going to tithe my McDonald's salary, my first job, right? A lot of my friends had that uh, in, in high school. Mine was uh, Skyline Chili. It's the best. How does somebody go from, okay, Jesus, I'll tie 10% and all the adults are like, it's just a buck 50, dude. Like, it's not that big of a deal. To consistently show patterns of trust and faith in Jesus in the journey inward to now we're talking about a million dollars. 
How does that, how does that happen in someone's life? Like, at what point do you go, okay, we get it. You love Jesus. Like, why don't you just keep some of it for yourself, right? Mm. It's because what the gospel is doing in and through people for when you start giving for the first time, and that behavior doesn't change over time. The reason why someone can have a, uh, a sweet, peaceful, resting life, and they're giving away 10% of a million dollars is because their identity is not in their job. Their identity is not in their wealth. Their identity is growing and loving and maturing in their relationship with Jesus. That's how somebody gives a buck fifty. And that's how somebody gives 10% of a million dollars. It's not the amount, friends. It's the behavior. It's the consistency. It's the love. It's the trust. As you, as you have high highs and low lows, it's that study faithfulness, that grit that people have, that you hope when you hire people or your team drafts a player more than talent, you hope they have grit, even when they have to work through um, injuries or setbacks and losses. Grit is a value that you can't really instill. You either have it or you don't. It's the behavior, friends. It's not necessarily the amount. So if you have your Bibles, go with me to Luke 16. Or you can download the Bible app on your smartphone, and we'll also have the text on the screens as well. Last week, we read the whole parable. I won't do that again. It's a long one. And I kind of taught the, the, the back end of the parable. And today, we're going to start at the beginning and work our way towards the middle. In Luke 16, 1 through 2, Luke writes this. Jesus told his disciples, there's a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So we called him in and asked him, what is this that I hear about you? Right? This is a bad evaluation. Give an account of your management because you cannot be a manager any longer. You know what's coming, right? If you're in your boss's office, I'm going to get canned four weeks before Christmas. Let me ask you, uh, let me ask you guys a question. Uh, raise your hand in-house or online or comment online if you want. Um, how many of you bought a toy for Christmas or a birthday for your child or grandchild and you said, I need you. This is a different kind of toy. You're getting older. Your Christmas list, your birthday list is getting more and more expensive. Now we're getting into technology. I need you to treat your toy differently. I need you to protect it. And maybe within two weeks, it was busted, broken, and, and forgotten. Anybody? Yeah. Yeah. I, w I was that person. My parents hated sending me to church camp because the most expensive thing that I would take, I would forget. And it would cost my mom and dad like 100 bucks every summer I'd go to camp because I'd always forget something. Here's a photo of my brother Nathan uh, and his, uh, his son, uh, Shaw. Uh, yes, I know what you're thinking. We are related, okay? And I know what you're thinking. We do have the same mom and we do have the same dad, okay? We verified it. Some of us have the good looks and some of us end up like Nathan. Uh, Nathan bought a Kindle Fire for his son, Shaw. It's about like 75 bucks. And Nathan had that conversation with Shaw. Shaw, listen to me. This is a different kind of toy. It's not a toy. It's, a, it's electronic. It's a full-fledged device like adults have. I need you to protect this, right? I need you to take it with you wherever you want to use it and bring it back and charge it every time you're using Okay, okay, okay. And time and time again, Shaw would leave his fire all throughout the house. And Shaw, I love the kid. He's so intelligent, so emotional and kind and caring, really good characteristics in uh, the man that he's going to become. And he said, Dad, I can't find it. I can't find it. And Nathan would get frustrated with him. 
And he said, Shaw, you cannot keep doing this. You can't keep losing your stuff. One night, the Seaman family went to bed, and it was a torrential downpour. Yep, you know where this is going. Family wakes up. Family goes to school. Nathan uh, goes to church. He's a lead pastor. His wife, Emily, is the children's pastor. They work at the same church. They come home early. Uh, Shaw is getting ready to get off the bus. Nathan walks outside in the back deck, and there he sees the Kindle fire, completely drenched in last night's downpour. The water's in the cracks and the crevices. It's, it's no dice. It's no good. This toy or this electronic, this device that Shaw received um, is no longer good. It can't be uh, used anymore. So Nathan said, I could, I could go buy him a new one or I could teach him a lesson. <laughs> and I think Shaw's going to need some therapy. Shaw walks in the house and says, where's my iPad? Where's my iPad? I would get my iPad. Where's my Kindle Fire? And Nathan says, where'd you put it last? And so he walks around and goes in the back deck and there it is, the scream of pain and agony. I forgot to bring it back into the house. And Nathan looks at Shaw and says, Shaw, you, you are a really bad manager of my stuff. And Shaw says, your stuff, Dad? This is my Kindle fire. And Shaw said, no, no, no. Nathan said, no, Shaw. Everything you have is from me. The lesson that Shaw is learning Hopefully, if we're willing to lean in with our finances, the lessons we are learning is that everything I have is a gift from God on loan to me. And how often do we get worked up in the accolades and getting promotions and raises and, and, and being noticed at work? We're like, whoa, I'm doing all of this. This is, this is my money coming in. I'm getting more you know, money or these balls or whatever in this lifestyle bin. I'm just going to keep buying more stuff and not looking at my life or my money to fuel and impact my ministry. Everything we have is on loan from God. What kind of steward do we want uh, to be. In Matthew 16, 27, Matthew writes this, for the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. The word reward simply means to pay back somebody. To pay, to pay back somebody. Now, I've not died uh, that I know of. I've not been to heaven, but I want you, I want your mind to wonder uh, a little bit and, and, and step into um, your imagination. Imagine you're in heaven and there's this massive stage. There's seas of people, right? Paul Simon or Garth Brooks at Central Park, like that many people or Woodstock, depending on your age. A lot of people are there. And Jesus calls you up on the stage and says, I want you to look out to the sea of people. Now look over there to this pocket of people. You see them? Are you looking at their eyes, in their eyes? Yeah, yeah. These are the people that are the result of your financial generosity. Thank you. Yeah, but I don't, I don't hardly know anybody. I don't hardly know any of these people. Yeah, but remember when you were on earth and you went to Rockingham Christian Church? Remember when you sponsored a child in Nairobi, Kenya through Mohi Missions of Hope International, one of your church's global partners? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Your student became a Christian who became a pastor who 
became a leader in his community, his or her community, and began schools working with Mohi. And as a result of your generosity into one child, hundreds of children came to faith in Christ. Thank you for your generosity. What about these people? They don't look like Kenyans. Oh, okay. Well, remember um, in uh, Christmas of, what was it? Like, uh, oh, 2020, where your church did a Christmas uh, 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 toy drive for this, this other church, Beacon Church. You remember that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in Derry, London Derry. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So remember when you gave to that? And remember when your church supported that ministry? Well, that church grew to about three to 500 people. And hundreds and hundreds of people over decades of time came to faith in Jesus because you were willing to buy teething rings. You were willing to buy a crib. You, you were willing to buy tables for kids to sit at and, and teachers to teach them about Jesus. Thank you for your generosity. Wouldn't that be a cool moment? I, I, th- I think so. Because one of the things about uh, that so we've Americanized uh, giving in the church is if I give to this, I want to know what, what's my return on investment. I want to see the results. And Jesus goes, if you give to the kingdom of God, you may never see your results in this lifetime, but you will sow your seed, your story into the life of somebody else. That, that story will be told to you on the other side of eternity. Man. Like, isn't that true? At the end of the day, we're all storytellers, right? Like, how many stories do you want to tell, right? How many stories do you want to tell? Are more more people going to show up at your funeral than at your birth? Like, what kind of impact and legacy do you want to leave people? Question I want to ask you as we get to the meat of this text is, is, is a different kind of question. Maybe a question you're proud of, proud to answer, and it's this, how shrewd are you? I'm not, but my, man, my, my, uh, my spouse, oh my gosh, when we do the budget, it's a nightmare, right? How shrewd are you? In Luke 16, 2 through 8, uh, Luke continues this story. What is it that I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot manage any longer. Well, the manager said, what shall I do now? My master is going to take away my job. I'm about to get canned. I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm not I'm too ashamed to beg, uh, and, and I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job, people will come, uh, will welcome me into their house. Hospitality is a big thing in Jewish culture, so is shame and honor, which is why this guy's in a dilemma. Verse 5, so he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked them, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil. Okay, great. Sit down. Take out your bill quickly and make it 450. Oh, wow. You're, wow, your master is very, okay, I'll do that. And I'll leave and I won't ask any questions. Verse 7. Hey, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of, of wheat. He replied, um, take your bill and make it 800. Well, oh my gosh, this is, this is how you do business all the time? This is great. Thank you. Verse 8. The master, here's, here's what makes this verse, this story so infuriating for me. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. God says, good job when you're dishonest? What? For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than those, the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwelling. I told you last week, there's two different ways to view finances in the first century in this context. 
Do you want to be an ASEAN where money is for your pleasure and your comfort and your retirement? Or do you want to view money the Jesus way, right? Comfort, retirement, like all that stuff. But you're also looking at ways to make your life ministry. I think the manager kind of made that shift and go, wait a minute, I need to practice generosity. And then he did something so shrewd that it cost him his job. I'll get back to that. Here's a photo of one of my favorite shows, Shark Tank. Anybody watch Shark Tank? Love it. Um, sh- so, so this parable is essentially one of, uh, you work for one of the Shark Tank um, investors, multimillionaires, so maybe some of them are billionaires, I don't really remember, and you work for them on their behalf, right? And you say, hey, you owe Kevin O'Leary this amount of money, but Kevin's feeling generous during the holidays, so why don't you just pay like... of what you owe him. And then you go to the next uh, business that O'Leary invested in, right? Or Barbara invested in, or Mark Cuban, or or Damon uh, invested in. Said, hey, uh, I know that you owe this amount, but like, he's feeling generous. Just give me 40%. And and if you're a business owner, you're like, man, Kevin O'Leary is, he's nicer than he looks on TV. This is great. Here's what the manager was doing. I'm already busted. I'm already in trouble, right? He knows these four things. I'm guilty. The master knows the truth. He knows I'm guilty. The master expects obedience because disobedience will bring judgment. Number four, I cannot get my job back by offering a series of excuses. So this is what he does. Kids do this all the time. Like during the holidays, they ask one parent, hey, can my cousin come over and have a sleepover after the Christmas party? No. So they go to the other parent and they pen each other against each other. And then they ask right? The parent that they're going to get the right answer from, the one that they want, publicly in front of the entire family. And the parents go, what do you, I mean, you're putting me in this awkward position. Like, what can I say now? This is exactly what the manager was doing. I know I'm going to get canned. But here's something that we don't value in America, in the Western world. Shame and honor were of the um, uh, utmost importance in first century culture. So the manager said, I know what I'm going to do. When I walk out of my meeting, right, with Kevin O'Leary, and I know I'm going to get canned, I want the crowd to look favorably not only on Kevin O'Leary, right, or Mark Cuban, but on me as well. (laughs) So I'm going to give Kevin's investors a break. And so when we both walk out of this meeting, they're going to look at us and go, wow, you guys are awesome. You are so generous. Now, here's the beauty and the tension of the gospel. This manager, like us, we share the same thing. We have time and opportunity. The fact that this manager dealt horribly with uh, the owner's money doesn't mean that all of investments are going to belly up. Uh, this, this, this shark or this, this owner of all this money has so much wealth that this shrewd act will not make him or any of his business associates or clients go under. Would you take a step back and think about the gospel in the context of the gospel? How many of us go into survival mode when we feel like our backs are up against the wall? Sure, about our finances, but not limited to that. Right? How many of us have started something with really good intentions got in over our head, and instead of asking for help or guidance, 
or acceptance. We just went our own way and we just dug ourselves in a hole deeper and deeper and deeper. And then we look up when we say things like, I never thought my life would turn out this way. Right? You can't outgive God, friends, and you can't outrun the grace of God. What a beautiful, unfair, I hate to say that, <laughs> what a beautiful and unfair lesson this guy was learning, and that I hope you're leaning in to learn too, that this owner still showed the shrewd manager grace. No, he fired him. <laughs> he canned the guy. But he did show him some grace. I mean, he could have publicly humiliated him. He could have pulled out a smartphone and all of his social media platforms. He could have made one post. That's how rich this guy was. And that manager never would have had a job again in his life in the financial field. Never again. What is the big, um, what, what, what is the big emotion you think people feel in the first century of like just shock and awe when they hear this story? It's, I think, I could be wrong, um, I think it's because everybody knew in the crowd, and I think most people today would, would venture to land on this position, everybody knew in the crowd that the manager, though he came across as generous, did not have permission, right? He did not have permission to act generously on behalf of the owner of all this wealth because he did not have a conversation with him. Let me ask you a question. Something to think about. Again, I'm telling you, if you want, if you want to take the journey inward and grow in your spiritual formation, I think finances is a, is a direct assault <laughs> on our spiritual formation. Here's the question. Every time you get paid, do you ever ask Jesus Jesus, thank you so much for the income that I've received today over the last two to four weeks. What do I have permission to spend it on? What do I have permission to spend it on? How can I advance your kingdom? Now, is Jesus saying not to have like a quality of life and have no fun? No, you're not. No, I mean, no, that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is what would it look like? I mean, forget finances, all aspects of our lives. If the question we asked was a was a prayer of permission. Jesus, you're my king, right? I'm not an American first. I'm a Christian first, right? I'm not a capitalist first. I'm part of the economy of the kingdom of God. And advancing the kingdom of God is more important to me, Jesus, than advancing my American lifestyle. Jesus, thank you for this income. What do I have permission to spend it on, right? And just sit there long enough after the whole whatever you want on Amazon that you think you hear Jesus saying, right? And sit there long enough and say, here's what I think you can do. You know that person, that, uh, that single mom that's having a difficult season in this life and all of you said is like, I'll be praying for you? Like, why, why don't you give her like $200 for Christmas gifts for her kids? Like, I was a recipient of that when I was a kid. I mean, wh- wh- how can you use your money to advance the ministry that God has given you. I think our lives would, would change for the better if we just started praying a prayer of permission. Jesus, thank you for letting me wake up today. What do I have permission to do today? I know what I think I should do, 
But what do I have permission to do today? God, thank you so much for this income. What, do, uh, do I, how do I have permission to spend the finances that you've allowed me to have? How, how do I, at the end of my life, hear you say, man, good job, servant. Because of your generosity, more people came to Christ than people that had two or three, you know, people were making two to three times more than what you were making. And you advance the kingdom of God further and faster. I'm going to give you another opportunity to step into that. Last week, we rolled out Ramsey Plus. Uh, this week, I'm excited to tell you another way to step into generosity and to journey out. It's our Christmas offering, Christmas Eve offering that we do every year here at the church. Uh, my buddy, uh, Calvin Daly, is a, is a church planner. And he's planning a church through... Uh, RHM, Restoration House Ministries, and the Derry uh, region, Derry, London, Derry. He's a church planner, so they're still looking for a building. That's one thing you can pray about. Uh, but we were, we were talking, and I talked to our Journey Out team, and I said, what's a way that RCC could bless you so that you'd be ready to rock and roll in March when you open your church? He said, man, we need kids' ministry supplies. <laughs> like, we don't have anything. Like, you don't have anything? No, we don't have anything. And so I said, hey, why don't you come to my church? We'll shoot a video, let RCC get to know you a little bit, and tell us more about this Christmas drive. So here's my interview with, uh, with Calvin. Hey, RCC, Ben here. Excited to introduce to you my friend Calvin Daly, who is launching a brand new church in the Derry region, Beacon Church, March of 2021. And wanted to give you an opportunity to meet him and hear a little bit about his story. Ben, thank you so much. RCC, we are so excited to partner with you as you journey out, and thank you. Thank you for being on mission with RCC. My name is Calvin, as Ben shared, and my wife Tara and I, we've been in Manchester, uh, New Hampshire for the last 10 years. She's originally from New Hampshire, but I'm from England, so I was born and raised. My dad is a retired pastor. I've been in America for the, since 2007, and we have a love for the people of New England. So we just wanna share with you a little bit about Beacon, it is gonna be a church that's launching on March 28th in 2021, and it's gonna be in the Derry region. And we just can't wait to see the life change that God is gonna do in the people and in the life of Beacon Church. But Ben has some ideas of ways that you can partner with us as you journey out and invest in the people of Derry and of Beacon Church. Yeah, awesome. So every year, RCC, we do a Christmas uh, drive a Christmas offering. And so this year it's going to look a little bit different. What Calvin and the Beacon team has asked of us, they said, hey, if, if your church could do a Beacon Kids Ministry drive, if you could buy stuff for our kids ministry, help us out for our launch Sunday in March, that would be great. And so that's what we're going to do. Throughout the month of December, we're going to be collecting Beacon Kids Ministry items that you buy and provide. You can bring those back to the church. Uh, on Sunday morning during our services or anytime Monday through Thursday at our offices between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. To get a list and print off a PDF copy of the items that Beacon needs, just go to rccsalem.com uh, slash Christmas and you and your family, friends, even your life group can all get on it and help this church make an impact in the dairy region. Thanks, Calvin, so much for being part of this. And I'm excited to work with Beacon for even future endeavors. Awesome. I'm excited to have uh, Calvin and his team come December 13th. 
uh, to lead worship, and Kevin will be here to preach and for you guys to get to know him uh, a little bit better. Um, one of the cool things about the, the, the drive is if you go to our website on our Christmas page, it's all through Amazon. So uh, whatever you decide to order, uh, Amazon will ship it here. So it's super easy. You can do it from the comfort of your uh, own home. If you're like, I wanted to buy these three things, but they're gone, they've also provided ways for us to bless them with some gift cards. So it's an opportunity. Again, we say that RCC generosity tells better stories. It's an opportunity uh, to partner with another church in a local area uh, so that they can tell better stories and they can invite more people uh, to journey with Jesus. And I pray that you and your family and your life groups will uh, step into this, uh, this this year. In just a moment, we're going to take communion uh, together. And uh, I want to thank um, some really cool people uh, at our church. And there's a reason why here in just a second. Uh, Marianne Cody has done a phenomenal job. She heads up our prayer team. She's always on it when there's hospitalizations, deaths, uh, families um, have new little ones and births. And I just want to thank her for her ministry. Uh, as, as well as Lynn Clark. Uh, Lynn has been on our finance team. She's been on staff at RCC. She's stepping down from uh, our finance team to enjoy warmer weather in Florida. Don't know that I can blame her too much for that. And I just want to thank these awesome women. Now, here, here's why I do that. And we do, ladies, have a gift coming uh, to your home this week, I believe. Uh, here's why I want to do that. In, in Philippians chapter 1, Paul's uh, in jail or Roman house arrest. He's what we call a repeat offender. And in chapter 1, he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but the word uh, thank or thankfulness, thanksgiving, that's the Greek word for Eucharist, where, where we get our English word for, well, Eucharist, but communion. And I can't help but wonder that at the end of the day, right, we are the results of one another. We are just storytellers. And people can be joyful apart from following Jesus, no doubt, 100%. I see it all the time. However, there's a depth to joy, right, that has to pass through the cross and the resurrection. This joy that says, man, had it not been for the cross, had it not been for the resurrection, I would be dead in my sin. And then we get to go to a church and partner with other people that have that shame, that same joy, that same love for Jesus. I think that's why Paul wrote Philippians. Like, we're not in house arrest, but COVID-19 hasn't been a pleasant walk in the park. And yet, in dire straits, Paul says, you know what I think about during hard times? I think about the people that I've invested in. And I think about the people that have invested in me. That's why I eat. That's why I drink. Because of a shared love for one another and a shared love for Jesus, the cross, and the resurrection. And that's why we're going to eat today, church. And may you, this week, in your own way, express your thankfulness and joy to someone in your life. Let's eat and drink together. Jesus, thanks so much for um, the gift of communion, this meal of thanksgiving. Jesus, help us to slow down enough in this holiday season. I mean, today actually kicks off Advent. Help us to slow down long enough to experience the depth of your, of your joy than the depth of our own thankfulness. A depth that's deeper than the kiddie pool, a depth that's deeper than the deep end in the adult pool. It's a depth that's even deeper than the bottom of the ocean floor. Thank you, God, for this overwhelming gift that you've given us through the cross 
in the resurrection. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.